Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode number 75. And we've had a lot of things going on the past couple of weeks. Isn't that right, Crystal? It is. We've been able to make it to downtown Savannah a couple of times recently. And we took a late night paranormal tour of the Sorrel Weed House, which we'll talk about later. We also took a haunted tour on Tybee with the Witching Hour Tour Company, which is our the first tour company that I know of that does tours out here on Tybee, isn't it? I've never heard of one other than them. So I We've lived here for a while, and we had no idea how haunted, apparently, our island is, but it just makes sense, really. It really does. I mean, we knew about Savannah, but I never really thought about Tybee, even though we know we're going to do an episode about Tybee. And we've got our producer in here with us today, so if you hear some gentle snores, you can see her if you're watching YouTube. She's down here just really putting in the work that it takes to make a podcast episode. She works so hard. Coffee, thank you for everything you do. So we ended up taking the tour. We joined with them and they started at the pier and they walked us around the island on the south end telling us about the various and sundry things here that are actually haunted. And we learned a few things about the place that we didn't know. Like, for example, in theory, there are some tunnels underneath what used to be Benny's Bar going down to Ibrisa. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But uh, you were talking about a bar who who owns a very famous house in Savannah. And he said, oh, yeah, that's there, right? Yeah, because he also lives on Tybee and he knows about the tunnels. Yes, we we know the owner of the Lachlan McIntosh house, apparently. Yeah, so we're going to, it's an Airbnb now, so we're going to check that out, too. It just sounds like a place that ought to be having some interesting paranormal activity. I do recommend if you're on Tybee and you would like to take a haunted tour that you do contact them. We'll have their information in our show notes. It was definitely an entertaining time. Well, what's unique about their company versus someone else that might do it is that Bridget lived here her whole life. So she's really familiar. She grew up here. She's really familiar with Tybee. And Dylan is a parapsychologist. Is that right? Yes. And more important than that, he's Welsh. Yeah. He so is. he's got an amazing accent. Yes. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. He could be like reading the ingredients off the back of a box of Cheerios. And you'll believe it. And I would be like, definitely, there are carbohydrates in this place and they are haunting it like you would not believe. Yeah, but they give a unique perspective because she is an intuitive, I believe. And she yes. she feels the spirits and the things. And he tries to look at it from an academic standpoint. So you don't usually get that. So you'll get both sides of that. And he is definitely a very educated yeah, they're both, man. They're both well-educated and, and if knowledgeable. And he's not, he certainly fooled me. Yeah, they do a great job. <laughs> and I mean, how hard can it possibly be to fool me? I, an intellectual <laughs> in the world of parapsychology. Oh, yes, you are. We also wanted to talk about our Patreon for just a second. We have a ton of content over there, including our last week's episode about a haunted hotel in Austin, Texas. It was a great episode. Brett even got to use his John Wayne impersonation. So if you're not a Patreon member yet, go check that out. You can access content for as little as $3 a month. For the audio. And it's definitely worth it if you want to hear more of us and you want to hear a discount John Wayne impersonation that I did on the fly without any kind of forewarning that I needed to practice. I think it's better that way if you don't know what's coming. I'll tell you right <laughs> now what's better. It's if you try to call me something like Tusklahoma. Tusklahoma. Alakabaki. Well, we had a specific request for you to do more impersonations. So there you go. Well, it's I'm going to yeah, work $3, on that. $3, you can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, there's a lot more better things there than me doing a John Wayne impersonation. <laughs> also, in a recent episode, we talked about the mansion on Forsyth Park, which is currently being transformed into Hotel Bardo. And what happens every time anyone renovates anything downtown? I'm going to go with... They find a whole bunch of human remains. That's right. They find bones. According to WTOC, a police report says an excavator bucket dropped a load of dirt and debris, which is when crews observed a pile of bones. Ooh, right, how'd bone that get in there? In a pile. How'd that get Just in one there? Bone. Not a pile of bones. I was like, what, a whole pile? Savannah Mayor Van Johnson says discoveries like these can happen frequently during construction projects in Savannah. Once we're able to identify the types of bones they are, there's a process by which that occurs, and then we follow the process. That sounds very governmenty for not really it even does. saying I'm much, not saying anything. It? So now the GBI is conducting another analysis aiming to figure out who or what these latest possible bones belong to as construction on the site 
enters its final phase. I think the first thing they ought to do is, if it's a skull, look at it and see if it's got them sharp, pointy teeth. <laughs> no, I don't because think it's a skull. Because if that's the case, then, you know, there's a whole other level of investigation they're going to need to involve themselves in. A representative for the developer says that police sent the discoveries to the GBI for testing, which they say is protocol. So I guess they're going to keep on trucking until they find out. Ah, well, you know, these bones could be 150 years old or they might be from 30 months ago. Well, I didn't. Either way, we're building this swimming pool. I didn't know that they actually found bones back in December, which is before we did that first episode. But they just found more in late June. So this is the second set of bones they they found. Which goes more towards what people say to us all the time. It's a city built on the dead, so we don't know how old these bones are yet, but we'll definitely keep you updated when we find out more, if we find out more. Yeah, we don't know if they're human or animal, and I wonder how long it's going to take to find out, because if they had those first bones since December and they still don't know, that's a while. It seems like it should be a relatively easy process to confirm it if they're human It must be remains. human, or they wouldn't be spending this amount of time on I, it. It's got to be, yeah. Because I think animal bones are easy, easily identified from humans in most cases. It would make sense to me. But then again, I am only licensed in the field of making stuff up. <laughs> so now let's talk about the Sorrel Weed House. We covered this in our very first episode nearly two years ago. But since then, we've learned a lot about the house, about podcasting, and about storytelling. So we thought we'd go back and revisit it and give you guys an updated episode, which will also have a YouTube video to go with it. If you want to see all the pictures, go watch this on YouTube or check out our social media pages. We strongly recommend you actually going to YouTube, though, because it's free. Yeah. And you can see the stuff that we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures to go with this one. Located on the edge of Madison Square in Savannah stands a magnificent Greek Revival-style Sorel Weed House. The home was originally built for wealthy shipping merchant Francis Sorrell in 1840 and was designed by famous architect Charles Kluski. Francis Sorrell was born in Santo Domingo, which is now Haiti, in 1793. And this is the only photograph that I could find of him. So he's like an old man. So I don't know. He doesn't look anything like I anticipated him looking. You've seen him on the walls of his house many times. I have, but that doesn't mean that this is what I thought he was going to look like. I just figured he would have a cape on. Well, he probably does. That looks like he could have a cape well, on. He could have a cape on. That might be a cape. It might be. So I don't know if you're familiar where Haiti is, but I gave you a map here so you can uh-huh. see in relation. Right there in that Dominican Republic. Yeah, it's in between Cuba and Puerto Rico. You've got Haiti and the Dominican Republic. A lot of baseball players coming from this region, they I do. imagine, they're don't very, they? They're very talented. His father was Colonel Antoine Francois Sorel, who served in the French Army. His mother was believed to be a free woman of color from Haiti. Unfortunately, she died shortly after his birth. Mm -hmm. This made Francis mixed race, or what they called at that time, a mulatto. He hid this fact and was light-skinned enough to pass as a white man. His father ran a sugar plantation in Haiti, but was often away. When Francis was a young boy, and while his father was away, there was a slave revolt in Haiti, and Francis was nearly killed. He was only around five years old, And one of his nurses hid him and was able to sneak him away to Port-au-Prince, where he was cared for by her relatives. As a young man, approximately 19 years old, he was working as a clerk for a shipping company in Port-au-Prince. He was quite good at his job, so the firm sent him to their branch in Baltimore, Maryland. Francis was determined to be a wealthy American and worked hard at his job in Maryland, quickly rising up the ranks. In 1819, at age 24, he moved to Savannah, where he formed a business with a man named Henry Douglas, who was a supervisor at his job, so they decided to branch out on their own. They advertised their shipping business in local newspapers, and although cotton, whiskey, butter, flour, salt, and things of that nature were their main imports, they also dealt in a much darker trade, humans. Slaves were a very valuable commodity in the South following the Revolutionary War, and Francis Sorrell and Henry Douglas took advantage of the opportunity. And it really surprises me that someone who is of mixed race would think selling other humans is okay, It's hard to imagine anyone would think that's okay, but to think that your own mother was once a slave and then you were saved by slaves. Well, sometimes capitalism, and I'm not saying capitalism is wrong, but sometimes people value money more than they look at the value of other people. And I guess they can maybe compartmentalize and be like, well, it's not happening to me, so I don't have to think about it. So, yeah, okay, sure. Oftentimes, people would marry into wealthy families to improve their own social standings, and it just so happened that Francis's partner, 
Henry Douglas came from a wealthy family. Convenient. It is. It's almost like it was meant to be in some horrific sense. (laughs) Henry had a 17-year-old niece named Lucinda Ireland Moxley, and on September 5th, 1822, Francis, who would have been around 29 at that time, married the young woman, solidifying his status as a wealthy businessman in the United States. This afforded him the chance to officially become a U.S. citizen. Because well, he wasn't, you know? So yeah, well, I mean, that was his dream. multiple benefits from that uh, arrangement, it sounds like. I wonder if she was into that. I don't know. With his acquired wealth and status, he began buying up property in Savannah. But sadly, his wife Lucinda died in 1827 of yellow fever, just five years or so into the marriage. Oh, that's, that's awful. But that is the Savannah of the 1800s. Probably for business reasons more than love, Francis married Lucinda's younger sister, Matilda Amenta Douglas Moxley, two years later. Between his two marriages, he had 11 children. However, as was common at the time, several of them did not survive childhood. Matilda was the mother of eight of those children. Wow. And from what I've read, only five of Matilda's children survived. Uh I think all three of Lucinda's survived. This left her understandably devastated, and she struggled with her mental health throughout their marriage. Like I said earlier, Francis Rill was a very successful merchant and grew quite wealthy, and he moved his large family into this rail weed home located on the corner of Bull and Harris Streets. The home is quite opulent, featuring the finest of furnishings. It was the gathering spot for the High Society of Savannah, even hosting Robert E. Lee on more than one occasion. Wow, we were sitting in a place where somebody I've heard of has been. That's, <laughs> that's a big deal. It is. It'd be even cooler if John Wayne ever visited there. How do you know he didn't? I don't know. He did come to this city at some point. Or is that Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood has been here recently. <laughs> okay. We told you in a previous episode that the story we heard was as follows. One busy day in 1860, while preparations were being made for yet another party, Matilda was searching for her head servant, a young girl named Molly. She couldn't locate her in the house, so she made her way across the courtyard to the carriage house where the slaves were housed. Molly, who was favored by Matilda, had her own private room, which was unusual. Unfortunately, it seemed, she was also favored by Francis, and much to Matilda's shock, she found her husband in Molly's bed. Unable to cope with what she had seen, she ran back to the main home, made her way up the stairs, and jumped to her death on the courtyard below, much to the horror of all around. A few weeks later, Molly was found hanging from a rope in her bedroom. It was speculated that she had either committed suicide or was killed by Francis in order to keep her quiet about what his wife had seen. Suicide was a very taboo subject at the time, and it's likely this would have been detrimental to the social standings of the Sorrell family. And we certainly can't affect the social standing. Another theory is that she was hung by her fellow slaves who blamed her for Matilda's death. We've also heard that possibly Francis pushed Matilda from the balcony and that he was covering that up. Yeah, so, there, there are multiple different versions of this story we have discovered, right? So this is a story we've heard countless times from tour guides and TV shows. And we've investigated the main house and the carriage house on several occasions. We've heard EVPs that seem to lend credence to that something tragic happened to this in this home. However, I've been researching and I found several accounts, including a very exhaustive account from a woman who was seeking permission to excavate the floor of the carriage house to see if there were bones, possibly of Molly underneath. So what it was, was this woman named Kelly Westfield, and she was a student at Armstrong, which is now Georgia Southern. And for her final project in historical archaeology, she wanted to excavate the basement of the carriage house of this real weed house because there's a depression in the floor, as you can see in this photo. And it was unexplained, and they wanted to see what was under there. Um, That seems like a very interesting thing that I would think somebody would be like, yeah, let's do that. So she did. And she went into great detail, and she searched records and produced evidence that the Sorrells no longer even lived at the house when Matilda died in 1860. Ooh, that sounds like it might throw a monkey wrench in some of the stories I've heard. Mm -hmm. In fact, they had moved next door after selling the home in 1859 to Henry D. Weed, hence the name Sorrell Weed House. We're going to link her paper in our show notes, so if you really want to take a deep dive into the history of the house as well as what Savannah was experiencing in the mid-1800s, you need to check that out. It's fascinating. Well, let me ask you this. I haven't read it, and you have. Does she provide a bunch of substantial documentation and evidence to back up her findings? Because 
I would think that this is something that has been critiqued by somebody, and she's got, well, this is the bill of sale. Right. This is the the dates, the death certificates, whatever it takes to back up her claims. She does. Well, then it sounds like a paper you should be reading. Yeah, it has. it's exhaustive. The Sorrells didn't move far from the home, though. They moved into the adjacent house at 12 Harris Street, which is equally as creepy at night as we saw the we other We found night. that out because it's literally right there yeah. beside the house. You could throw a rock and hit the house. Heck, you could throw me and hit the house. <laughs> While we were sitting in Madison Square the other night, the story I overheard from a tour guide this time was that while living in the home next door, Matilda awoke one night and her husband wasn't next to her. She went looking for him and found him with Molly in the carriage house of the Snoo house. Oh, so not the Sorrell Weed house, but the house they're living in. The house in, next door. The West Harris. Right. She then jumped from the balcony of this home, which led to a concussion, ultimately causing her death. That's a story I haven't heard yet. This is likely closer to the truth as evidenced in a letter written by Charles C. Jones Jr., who was a friend and associate of Francis Sorrell. He wrote the following in a letter to his mother. Also, historical documentation of a particular factor sharing. Right. That's an important thing to note. The sad news has reached the office that Mrs. Sorrell, probably in a fit of lunacy, sprang from the second or third story window of her residence on Harris Street next door to the house, which was the family mansion for so many years, falling upon the pavement of the yard and by the concussion terminating her life. So it seems this is more likely what transpired. Now, whether she caught her husband or she just had suspicions or was struggling with mental health issues for other reasons like the deaths of her children, no one knows for sure. In a letter from Charles C. Jones Jr.'s mother responding to him, she said, The death of Mrs. Sorrell was very distressing. I heard some time since that she was subject to great mental depressions. We are not sufficiently grateful for our preserved reason— Our commonest blessings are of our greatest. We need only to be deprived of them to feel it so. So they're saying, yeah, she was struggling with mental health, but they don't say exactly why because he probably— Well, you know what? Something I've learned is it doesn't necessarily have to have a reason. Mental health is not necessarily chained or tied to experience in your life. Sometimes you're just depressed. True, but what would just all of a sudden cause her to run up on the balcony and jump if there wasn't some catalyst? Well, probably was a catalyst to make her do the thing she did, but mm-hmm. I imagine she could have just had a state of depression that was just present because it's present, and maybe being triggered by a traumatic thing caused her to do something that she might not normally do. Now, another thing we need to know is, was there actually a slave named Molly? Did they own a slave named Molly? And Did it seems, Molly exist? Right. It that's seems, a big, important thing to ask <laughs> in a story where that's pretty much what you hear from everybody. Yeah. Well, it seems she did. There is a record of a slave manifest naming a slave named Molly, age 26, belonging to Frances Sorrell. However, it appears the manifest showing her being sent from Savannah to New York City in 1857, which is three years before Matilda died. And I don't know if she returned. There's no evidence that she did. I don't know how accurate the records were, but there is no record of her returning to Savannah. So this is an actual document showing Molly, female, 26. And it says it's bound from Savannah for New York. Well, could there have been more than one Molly? There could have been, but this is the only documented Molly that he owned. Well, maybe. You know, I'm not. I'm going to jump out on a ledge here, off a ledge, as I tend to do, and say maybe not everything was documented. That's like also it ought true. To have been documented. That is also true. So either way, it would not have been uncommon for a slave owner to have non-consensual relations with a female slave. It was a huge problem of the time, as evidenced by the population of mixed people numbering around two thousand in eighteen sixty. So at the time, none of that would have been a consensual thing, right? Yeah. So was he messing around with a young slave woman? Probably, but we just don't know for sure. And we don't know that it was the direct cause for Matilda's suicide. Her official cause of death was concussion. No one wanted to say the word suicide. However, Matilda was not buried in Laurel Grove Cemetery, where later her husband and children would be buried. It was common for those who committed suicide to be buried away from the family plots because of the stigma. That's kind of sad, really. Mm -hmm. We were at Laurel Grove last year, and we saw the family crypt. 
It's quite elaborate, and it's dedicated to Francis and Matilda by their children. Yeah, we found it by accident. We weren't even looking for it. Yeah, we didn't even realize they were there. I was going there to get the Jingle Bell guy. Yeah. And we just stumbled upon this, and I was like, that looks kind of elaborate. What is it? And turns out it is just pertaining to this story. It does seem that Francis did feel guilt over his wife's death and took some responsibility as evidenced in a letter written by Francis to his son, Alexander Claxton. How my dear and beloved wife would have enjoyed this visit of our friends if her life have been preserved, and how much more comfortable she would have made them than I have been enabled to do. But I must not enlarge on this sorrowful subject. The Lord has bereaved me and laid his chastening rod heavily upon me, and I must submit. They really wrote eloquently, I'm telling you, these people back then, they talked some kind of other way. (laughs) So, is he feeling remorse for his actions with other women or the fact that he didn't seek help for her depression? We just don't know. But he was. Or both. Seemingly, you know, upset and that he felt guilt and that God was. I'm sure he probably punishing did. Him. Just because people can do things doesn't mean that they don't eventually realize, hey, you know, perhaps I was in the wrong and now I feel bad about this. Again, we'll likely never know the true story, but what we do know is that the square where the home sits was the site of the bloodiest battle of the Revolutionary War, the Siege of Savannah. And we know that there is supernatural activity occurring at the old Sorrel Weed House. Is it the spirits of Matilda, Francis, and Molly, or possibly the soldiers who were buried in a mass grave underneath the square? We've had several experiences ourselves, and we're going to talk about those now. On our previous investigation, we had a tour guide named Janie. She told us a little about the Siege of Savannah, and we're going to play that clip for you now. And the Revolutionary War in Savannah was fought right outside in what is now Madison Square. In fact, the bloodiest hour of the entire revolution was fought outside on October 9th, 1779, during the Siege of Savannah. There are roughly 2,000 patriots buried in a mass grave right outside our front door. And while that bloody battle was being fought, the British officers were living here on this land, and this is where they died. It's actually widely believed that if we were to dig underneath the foundation of this house tonight, that we would find the remains of those British officers under our feet right now. That could be why we experience them as spirits. Some people believe that spirits attach themselves to tangible objects. So if their bones, or their teeth, or fragments of their uniform, pieces of their bayonets are still underneath us, then maybe a portion of their energy does remain here with those remains. Yeah, so an estimated 2,000 bodies all buried in one place. That could be an explanation for the amount of activity people experience here. It definitely could. And this is something that we've come to understand about Savannah or anywhere. Just because you're told a story about who supposedly lived there and may or may not have. And the story they tell you may or may not be 100% factually true, might be for entertainment purposes mostly. That doesn't mean that perhaps there aren't other spirits or other energies that is there. And maybe you're just trying to interpret it as what you think it is. And maybe it's something completely different. When you enter the front of the 16,000 square foot mansion, you'll start in the foyer. To the left are the joint men's and women's parlors with pocket doors that would be closed at some point during the evenings so the men could smoke cigars, drink bourbon, and talk business, while the women could discuss upcoming social events and talk about their families. Like we said earlier, Robert E. Lee was among the guests once entertained by the Sorrells. Here's a clip of Janie again. This house was the party house of Savannah during its time. Everybody who was anybody wanted to come party inside of these rooms, even Robert E. Lee, who's all over this museum is documented as having been here. Robert E. Lee danced on these Georgia pine floors that we're standing on right now. I wonder if he really danced on those old Georgia pines. He doesn't look like much of a dancer. Well, see, that's where you're wrong. (laughs) The man is definitely a subdued dancer. He's holding back. I can see him breaking out. He's holding back. (laughs) You don't give him everything all at once. You got to hold something back. On our most recent tour, we were divided into small groups, so it was just us and one other couple, and we sat down on the antique furniture next to the table. The table we said we could be seated at. Yeah, they said, they'll they tell told you. us where we yeah, could sit. We were just randomly sitting sit. on furniture. <laughs> yeah, some places you can't sit. 
On the table was a cat ball. It's one of those little light-up balls that cats play with. So if it's moved, it's supposed to light up. If it's stationary, it should not light up. It's fairly sensitive. It doesn't take much to set it off, but it does take something. It doesn't just go off on its own. We also had an app that's supposed to let spirits use the energy of the phone to form words. That's the room. (laughs) Guests have reported smelling cigar smoke in the room, despite the fact that the home is non-smoking, of course, these days. Well, I did ask him in that room if I was allowed to smoke cigars, and Francis Sorrell himself told me yes. Now, I <laughs> but didn't. You didn't. I didn't because I didn't have any with me, but I just want to say Francis Sorrell seems to be okay with it. So we need to address this in the future. Others have claimed to have captured figures in the large mirrors that don't belong. Do you remember the one oh, yes. with the two sisters? Yeah, that was terrifying. There was like two sisters, and their father was taking a picture of them. And it was just the two of them. And then when they looked at the picture, there's like a scary Rob Zombie looking creature standing with them. Yeah, it's like Rob Zombie mixed with Swamp Thing. And I don't want to meet either one of them in real life. Rob Zombie or Swamp Thing. (laughs) The girls were freaked out by that. Yeah. On one wall above a piano is a portrait of one of the Sorrell's sons, Civil War Confederate Brigadier General G. Moxley Sorrell, who was quite a character. He seemed to have an affinity for the ladies. They say he was very handsome. You think? (laughs) And there are often reports of women being touched in this room. He didn't seem to approve of me or the other lady being in the men's parlor, however. And we're going to play a clip of what we captured with our spirit app. Yeah, this is uh, the most misogynistic ghost we've ever met. Yeah, he is. I heard you like the women. Can you make this ball light up? Can you make this ball light up for these beautiful ladies in the room? They'll be impressed. Oh, I can't even tell you how much impression you'd make. Dishwasher. <laughs> Is it, he just called y'all dishwashers. Wait, wait, wait. Did she say that he was like a, like, like a misogynist? Like, like, yeah, he's, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's dissing. I, I said, look at these two lovely ladies in this room. And he's like, suitcase. Suitcase. Get your suitcase and get out. He doesn't like us. I know a good southern gentleman's going to want everyone to know what his name is. Honda. Honda. You yeah, would we, not know that We word. drive a Honda. Are you trying to tell me you know <laughs> who I am? Is to get your suitcase and get in your Honda. And okay. So I guess he didn't seem very pleased to have us ladies in there. He wanted us to go wash some dishes is what we gathered from that. Yeah, and then he told you to pack your suitcase and get in your Honda. He did. He knew he drove a Honda. Across from the men's parlor is Francis's study. In one corner is an antique desk. There's a bar on one wall where they set up a rim pod. Okay, a rim pod is a device that we've talked about on the show before, but it looks like a, ho- a big hockey puck, got a antenna on it, and several LED lights of different colors. Bunch of pretty lights. Bunch of pretty lights. That's why it's one of my favorite pieces of equipment I've seen people use. We don't own one. But what it does is it measures the proximity of something to the antenna on the probe. So I'm assuming it works under a capacitive principle. So if it has something that comes in close enough to it that it basically completes a circuit, then it's going to alarm. And depending on how much energy is transferred there, it will do it at different levels. So it could just like beep, 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 but it can really go off Mm -hmm. at different frequencies and thresholds. So you can see if something is touching that antenna, that means there is something there. And if you're on the other side of the room, there's no reason it should go off. No, there's no reason it should go off, even if you're standing within a few feet of it. You have to get close enough to the antenna for it to be able to sense your presence. So uh, they do do go off occasionally, and it may malfunction. But when they go off, and they're really going off, you know it. On our first investigative tour, it was a much larger group, and we all stood around in a circle in the room in Francis's study, and both of us felt off balance, kind of like you're swaying. Yeah, almost like you'd been drinking a little too much. Yeah. Which we had not been, of course. We thought it was just us. This was very early on in our ghost hunting experiences. But then Janie told us this. Over the last maybe 11 months or so now, more and more commonly, I've had so many people report feeling really unbalanced in this room. The first time that I was made aware of it, I had a guest standing over here in this corner who suddenly just got down on the floor and I was like, are you okay? And she told us that her equilibrium was knocked off. So she was trying to make herself small and close to the floor. It's very clever. I haven't had anybody else get down on the floor, not yet. 
but I am hearing about this on a weekly basis at this point. I do not talk about this on my shorter tours. And on those tours, I have guests come up to me later in the night and I'll say, this is gonna sound weird, but when we were in the study, was the floor vibrating? No, the floor isn't vibrating, but if you feel like it is, or if you feel a bit off kilter, you're not alone. And if you aren't feeling off kilter, there's time yet, we'll see <laughs> if something happens. <laughs> That was a really weird sensation. The only time I've ever felt that before was in Zach Bagan's museum in the Jack Kevorkian room, which you didn't feel. I didn't feel it. I don't feel anything. Well, you, I have zero sensitivity. Here. Let's don't talk about that. You're going to make me feel things in our own room. We already had the no, producer No, I mean, barking. you felt it in, in the parlor. I did. I did feel that. So it must have been really, <laughs> really, really present for me to feel it. Yeah. This time, though, it was just us and the other couple and the REM pod. And it was set up, and we also had dowsing rods. So you want to talk about dowsing rods? Dowsing rods are basically two pieces of metal that are used for multiple varieties. The historical use for them was people would use them to try to find water. And uh, supposedly they would go, and when you went over water, the, the forks would cross and indicate something there. We've seen them used in the spiritual world. For example, when we were in Tonopah, Nevada at the Clown Motel, the guy who did the historical society worked with them, told us that's how they divined graves. He said they would walk over the graveyard, and they, as they cross over a grave, the forks would cross. And I said, sure it would. So he put them in my hands, and I did it, and it literally works. It does And work. I was like, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to make this happen. It's just going to happen. And it works. So uh, as far as how it works, I think it's magic. <laughs> so the way we use it is if you're holding it and the rods cross and make an X, then it means yes. If they go away, it means no. So you can basically get yes, no answers from the spirits. When you set the standard with them and yeah, say, this is what I'm that. expecting yeah, this to mean. And you can discount this when someone else is holding them and think that maybe they're moving them. But when you do it yourself, you feel it. Like you're not moving it. Even it's like you try not to let them move. One and time move. I had it in my hand, I felt it. Because I thought maybe subconsciously I'm making yeah. this happen somehow. But I was holding him one time in the one of my right hand when we were on the Tabi tour here with the witching hour. I felt this thing. I felt this thing almost just pull. Yeah. I felt like something grabbed it and pulled it. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, here, Crystal, you can use it. <laughs> And we thought we were communicating with the spirit of Francis Sorrell. We asked him a series of questions, and he gave us yes-no answers each time. He seemed to be quite fond of me. <laughs> wow, imagine that. <laughs> and when it was time for us to leave that room, the REM pot went off, and it wouldn't stop, like something was trying to get our attention, even though none of us was close enough to set it off. He just didn't want that pretty blonde to leave yeah. what it was. Next, we made our way downstairs to the basement. All the lights are turned out, and they have a few lamps and candles around, just enough to so you can move around without tripping. There's supposedly at least two ghost children who play in the home, a little boy named Charlie, and I think the little girl's name is Sarah. I believe that's what she told us, yes. They have a doll set up with a small seesaw toy and one of those cat ball toys. And when our tour guide, her name was Aubrey on this investigation, she was explaining things to us before we, she sent us out on her own, and the light ball was lighting up all by itself. Another odd thing was that one of the doll's shoes was off and sitting on the table next to the doll. Aubrey said that the little girl ghost likes to untie people's shoes. So that was strange. And we have we a, got picture. a picture of that. Yeah. We do have a I'll picture put that of that up right now. And luckily we always wear sandals so we didn't have to worry about it. I don't believe in shoes. I think that's something that society invented to hold people like me down. On our first investigation, I kept feeling like someone was touching my hair. On this most recent investigation, the other lady in our group and I felt something touch the left side of our faces at the same time. This was in the hallway type room, which is lit with a red light. And we'd asked it to touch someone. At, like, didn't we ask them to reach out and touch someone? We were crazy and we did ask that probably against my better judgment. And immediately both of us like reached up and grabbed our face because we felt something on our faces. I was like, oh, he likes the women. I'm fine. <laughs> Guests often claim to see a shadow man in this area. We didn't see anything this time, but we did feel the touch on our faces, but we did get an EVP. Okay, so I'll play the EVP for you now. I basically asked what his name was, and to me, this EVP says like it may say Tim. Crystal said it might sound like 
I thought you said, is there anyone here? And I thought it said here or yes. Well, either way, <laughs> I say something and then you'll hear the response. And I'm going to go ahead and loop it a few times so that you can hear it. So this is not it happening multiple times. It's going to loop so that you get a chance to hear it three or four times. Is there anyone in here that would like to talk to us? The strangest thing I experienced in the basement was I was walking by myself next to a table when I heard something metallic hit the floor like a heavy ring or a coin. We turned our flashlights on our phones and looked for the object but couldn't find anything. After we got home, we listened to the recording and we discovered we had captured the sound that I heard that no one else heard at the time. Which is weird because when I play this recording for you, I'm going to play it a little bit in advance. And you can hear me. I'm sitting in the shadow man's hallway about 10 feet away from where Crystal is. So I'm not far away. And this sound rings out clear as a bell. I did not hear it when I was sitting there in person. It just, it seems like I would have picked up on it because she calls me and you can tell I'm sort of confused as to why she's calling me, but that's why she was calling me. May I sit? May I sit here? May I sit here? May I sit here? Crystal. So that was really weird because we could find nothing on the floor at all that looked like metal or, you know, could have made a sound. And later, Aubrey told us that people frequently lose jewelry in that area. I checked and I had all my jewelry. My wedding band and Rolex is gone. (laughs) No, so I don't know what that was about. Also in the same area, we captured an EVP that is pretty creepy. So this EVP is the scariest one of all by far. And what happened was this happened after her looking for the metal object. So I ask, I say, who was that that threw the metal object or dinged it or whatever? And if you listen, we didn't, none of us heard this in person. So that's why some of it happens while I'm still talking, but there is space. And you hear a voice that sounds like something otherworldly saying something, then almost sounds like it gets upset and it just huffs. It's like a growl. So yeah, a growl. It's, it's, we, none of us heard this. But I'm going to play it for you, and I'll loop this one just like I did the others so you can hear it a few times and let us know what you think. Was it money? What were you doing? Who dropped money here? Can you do it again? Who dropped money here? Can you do it again? Who dropped money here? Can you do it again? Yeah, so that one's kind of scary. And no was one was in the room except for us and the other couple. So there's no one making a noise. And we would have noticed if they made noises yeah. like this. No one else was downstairs. It was just us. Everyone said, else was, was in a completely different location. So it yeah. isn't somebody in the background that could have been doing it. Yeah, it was just the four of us. And even if there were somebody in the background, I've never heard a human make sounds like that mm-hmm. before. This is the exact same spot I was standing in on our first investigation When I thought there was a man wearing a white shirt standing next to me. Like I said, on the first tour, it was a large group of people and everyone was just wondering about. So I thought there was someone standing next to me waiting to take a picture. So when I turned around, there was no one there. And when we all got back together, I looked around and there was no man wearing a white shirt at all. Ooh, wow. Yeah, so that freaked me out. And you were nearby and you didn't see a man. It seems like, because this has been a while back that you asked me about it, I'm like, I don't remember anybody standing around here. Yeah, you didn't. I didn't because it wasn't. You were there like two. And I was like, I turned to like, be like, okay, you can take your picture now because I'm moving. And then there was no one there. And I'm like, where'd the man go? And you're like, there's no man. There is no man. (laughs) The whole time it was a figment of your imagination. I guess so. Or a demon. Who knows? Mm. We also got to listen to a recording courtesy of Janie on our first investigation. She was giving a tour, and it's an 18-plus tour, so there should be no children or crying babies. But listen to this and let us know what you think. So instead of telling you a story, I'm going to play for you a bit of evidence. It's more objective this way. So this happened on an investigation. We have late-night events. It's basically like signing up for your own ghost hunting show. We provide all the equipment. We live stream it on our YouTube page even. You're investigating in the dark on our property. So this was one of those events, and I was bringing the guests through the house. 
this is when we were going from the linen room into the surgery room and a guest just happened to be recording the audio of my little tour. Uh, I'm just going to play it for you. You can tell me what you hear. I'm not going to tell you what to listen for. Uh, it's pretty loud, but if you'd like to get closer to me, cozy up, you're more than welcome to. Those are the doors. Very scary, not paranormal. The baby crying. Did everyone hear that? Oh no. No offense to babies, but I would never allow a baby to come on an investigation. You have to be 18 years old. Yeah, to do an investigation. Yeah. It really does sound like a baby crying. And 100%. I don't understand why there'd be a baby crying. There wasn't. I know. And the fact that in some of them form. heard it as it happened, but then some of them didn't is, is crazy. That seems to be the way sounds in a paranormal sense happen. It's like certain people hear it, certain people don't. I'm mm -hmm. usually the person that doesn't hear yeah. it, which actually suits me just fine. Another room in the basement is where another one of the Sorrell children, Francis Jr., who became a prominent surgeon, used to practice medicine. After he grew up, he returned to his childhood home and rented out the basement to use as his office. There is old surgical equipment and an old wheelchair in this area. It's pretty creepy. There are reports of the wheelchair moving on its own. Other people feel certain pains in the areas of their body like they're being operated on. You, I'm glad we didn't feel any of that. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting my arm amputated and... I didn't pay for that. <laughs> yes, it's, it's pretty creepy in that side of the room. And I got this quote from the Georgia Historical Quarterly in an article about Dr. Francis Sorrell. He was also an elder brother of that dashing soldier, G. Moxley Sorrell, who illustrated the manhood of Savannah on many bloodied battlefields during the war between the states. I just loved that description of Moxley. <laughs> It's like we're, the article is about the Did doctor. Did he write it himself? And no, the article is about the doctor, but there it's like we're going to talk about Moxley. No, what I'm saying is, did Moxley write <laughs> this article for the historical? Probably. Group? So it seems Moxley, besides being a ladies' man, was quite the soldier. He even went on to write a book called Recollections of a Confederate Staff Officer, which, according to the Georgia Historical Society, is, quote, an absorbing account of his war experiences. Well, now I want to read it. I know. They say it's actually I, I good. I want to read it. After leaving the basement, we made our way to the carriage house. It's a two-story building located behind the main house. Downstairs is now home to the gift shop, but upstairs is a large open room with some beds and a table. I say large, but when you consider as many as 12 slaves having to share the space, it doesn't seem very large. No, not, not if that's habitation for that many humans. Mm -hmm. There is a smaller room off the main room that was purportedly Molly's room. It is a small bed and dresser that and is lit by candles. We used the dowsing rods and the app again in this room, and we asked if the spirit was Molly, and the dowsing rods crossed, meaning yes. We further confirmed that she was uncomfortable with the two men in the room, so they left us girls alone. Who could imagine me making somebody uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, in person of all things? <laughs> the lady that was with me asked if she could make a sound to let us know she was there. Almost immediately, we heard rain falling on the roof. It wasn't just a light rain. It was a downpour. And I asked the other girl if she heard the rain. She said yes, so we both dismissed it and assumed it must be raining. But just minutes later, we made our way over to the guys and asked them if they heard the rain. They said no. To no one's surprise. <laughs> we heard nothing. Right. And we walked outside to find it completely dry. And we were standing in such a way that we were directly beneath them. We could hear them talking to each other. I mean, we could hear the footsteps. So what they heard, we should have heard. So it's mm -hmm. not like it happened and the walls were so insulated we didn't hear it. Yeah, it's a very it, thin wall. We heard nothing. And then, you know, we walked outside just minutes later and there had not been any rain. And other people at the tour had confirmed that. Right, we went and asked everyone if it had rained and they were like, no, it didn't rain. So it turns out that uh, something in this house is rather fond of responding to blondes. <laughs> and Wasn't it's she blonde too? Yeah. Apparently, it yeah. likes blondes. It's interesting because a few days ago, we ran into our friends, Bridget and Dylan, from the Witching Hour Tour Company, and he said that they had some guests had a very similar experience hearing rain. It was a light rain, mm. and it was over quickly. 
But they they had that same experience, and they walked outside, and it had not rained. To be fair, it's not weird in Savannah for rain to just pop up out of nowhere. It's I mean, not. that can happen. But you it's going it to leave be some evidence that that happened <laughs> right. if that is the case. Right. I could have believed it was rain if there was wet yeah, ground. It, I mean, it happened so often that it didn't even shock occur to you that that was a thing when it occurred. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it's just rain. You yeah. Know? But lo and behold, it turns out somebody's trying to communicate with you. With the rain. They do know I love. I have a fondness for rain. You do. You say that you love rain. You don't want to be in the rain, but you like to hear the rain. I don't want to get caught. It's very cozy. It's the kind of thing you want to happen so you can lay in the bed and eat some sort of keto thing because that's what we're doing now Mm -hmm. and watch baseball. Yeah, that's true. Or football, depending on what time of year it is. The Sorrel Weed House continues to be a favorite spot for paranormal investigators. Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and everyone else who has a TV show has done an investigation. So if you want to see more about it, I'm sure there are tons of episodes out there on the millions of streaming services that we all pay for and forget what we have subscriptions to. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of how <laughs> things work these days. One EVP that was captured by Ghost Hunters is compelling. This was captured in Molly's room, and we're going to play that for you now. is real it sounds like a woman screaming for help if this is real this is the most real sounding evp i've ever heard because it literally sounds like she's there it's much longer than a normal evp you get like a word here or two words something like that it's almost like it sounds like it kind of might be fake it's so real sounding to me you know what i mean i'm not saying it is i'm not making that accusation but i'm like if it is real this is some of the best proof I've ever seen or heard for spirits existing. They also want TV ratings, so there's that. Aha, see, now that goes back to what I was telling you earlier. It <laughs> might not be all 100% true. So I'm not sure what to make of it, considering we know that the Sorrell family had moved out of the house before Matilda's and presumably Molly's death, so Molly wouldn't have died in that carriage house, assuming they didn't live there anymore. That is the records that you have been able to dig up. So if that was Molly screaming supposedly on the recording, uh, I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't make sense. But then you also got to ask, is supernatural energy necessarily 100% tied to the places where things happened in the past or can it move around? I don't know if they have free reign of the city, maybe. One of those people told us, one of the tour guides that was there said she took a ghost home with her. And oh, then it lives true. with her. So, so maybe, maybe they're transient. Maybe. We have one more thing to talk about. Remember Kelly Westfield and her archaeological study excavating the basement of the carriage house? I do, and this is what I've been waiting for the whole time. What well, happened? Among the broken ceramics, corroded metal, flatware, broken bottles, they did find bones. Dun, dun, dun. But they were animal bones. I'm going to play the Mario sound. So this is her interpretation of all they found out. Okay. So she has questions and answers. All right. What is causing the depression in the basement floor of the carriage house? Her conclusion. The depression is caused by a long, narrow, linear pit used for trash disposal at different times during the 18th and 19th centuries. This is not so nearly as sexy as I was hoping I know, it to be. It's trash. It's, it's literally, just trash. It's literally trash. It's like our dogs. It's just trash. <laughs> if the depression is caused by human remains, who is the person? How did they die? Do the remains corroborate the oral tradition about the Sorrell family? Her conclusion, the depression was not caused by human remains. The oral tradition about the Sorrell family as it concerns the burial of a slave in this carriage house basement, cannot be corroborated thus far. Aha, uh-huh, but she said, thus far, <laughs> which gives it a chance. It gives you hope. Next question. Does archaeological evidence or research provide support for the murder-suicide story surrounding the Sorrell family? Research uncovered that a slave named Molly, owned by Frances Sorrell, did exist. She traveled to New York City in 1857, and there is no record of her returning. Proof that a carriage house existed at the time of the slave's death and the death of Matilda Sorrell could not be found at this time. 
Is the depression a result of a subfloor pit or some other subterranean feature? Answer, the pit was clearly used for trash disposal, but may have originally been created for use as a root cellar or privy. So it's really just trash. I have a question. Okay. Okay. Let's say this thing went down as the way the the tour guides or whoever say it happened. Mm -hmm. And you've got records that Molly left. Well, what if it wasn't Molly that Uh, they said was was Molly? Yeah, I mean, how do you really know who's who's who? That's what I'm saying. My name's Molly. It's like, oh, here's Molly right here. They obviously didn't have the rights to contest or do whatever, I wouldn't think. So what if he's trying to cover something up and say, I'll get some documentation showing good old Molly ain't here no more. No, but she left in 1857, which is years before and he needed to cover anything up. So why would he have? Maybe he's establishing. There's a mall. <laughs> oh, he's a mastermind. That left. He's playing 4D chess while we're all playing shoots and ladders is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. So that one last thing that I noticed was that, you know, the carriage house is supposedly where Molly and the other slaves lived. Well, they determined that it wasn't constructed until 1888. Just long after the tragic death of Matilda. So what you're telling me is you're literally just butchering everything I held dear to my heart about this ghost story. I mean, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to live in the house with the Sorrells because it was a large house. And that's just how they, I mean, that's where they would have lived. And what evidence is there indicating that is when that structure was built? The plans when you ask to um, expand, you know, when you have to do an addition or whatever, they have city plans for that. Let me, have, let me plan. throw another one okay, up here because you, you know could, what I'm going to say. You could build an addition without a permit, yes. I know of at least two businesses on this island <laughs> that have done some modifications, modifications, shall we say, and perhaps didn't file all the necessary paperwork. Now, I don't have anything to do with these businesses. I'm just saying I know a few that have. And yeah, that's true. Could that have happened? But why would he need to do that? Well, why wouldn't they need to? I don't so know. So they wouldn't come trying to take $20 out of his account. And he'd be like, you're getting fined $20. And he's like, $20? Do you know how many fine cigars I could buy for my boy? <laughs> and he needs cigars to look good when he's on that battlefield. <laughs> well, one interesting thing is, you know, people traveled with buggies and horses. And that's why they needed the carriage house. That's where they would keep them. Oh, and they didn't invent horses until the late 1800s. <laughs> no. He did have a horse and buggy that he had to pay taxes on or some such nonsense before 1888. So where did he keep it? Aha, uh-huh. in not the carriage, carriage house, house he had already built that he's like, well, one of his buddies in the planning commission's like, I tell you what, you go ahead and draw up some plans for this thing you've already built. Well, and he you long submit since it sold it by me. then. He left it in 1859. Ah, so he just scammed the new owner. Yeah, so, so, that's, so, brother, so the weed's Brother problem. Weed had to take that's care of problem. it. problem. So basically what I've concluded is that everything we've ever heard is a lie. This is, <laughs> I mean, true. just to say it nicely. <laughs> so I just want to close with a quote that I think sums up why it remains a prevalent theory today. So before you do this quote and close this out, we do want to say we're not discounting the Sorrel Weed House. We're not saying that there is an activity there. Oh, there's definitely activity. Because there is. But the story. But we're saying the story that you're getting is questionable. Fed is, and we're not even going to say it's 100% not true. We're just going to say it's questionable, it's questionable based on her research and the documentation she's found. We're going to say that we don't believe that the story you're being told is 100% factual. You go look up what Crystal has investigated. We're going to link it in our show notes, and you make the decision yourself who to believe. So this is from a book called Tells from the Haunted South from 2015 by Tia Miles. Domestic tranquility proved to be elusive and indeed impossible in the South's most elegant homes. Tourists of the American South suspect this horror and even seek to safely confront it, which is perhaps what makes Sorrel Weed the most infamous historic home in Savannah. I thought that was just perfect. Like, that's it. I thought People it was, want. too. I felt like you were going to read it like you had a Savannah accent, but you just didn't do it. I you don't came, have a Savannah accent. You started. Accent. You do have a redneck accent, though, and you hide it so good. A redneck. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you should have read <laughs> I would have bought it more if you'd have said that. <laughs> so, like, I think that's the thing about it. People want a safe distance of the heart. Like, you want it to be true, just... A little bit. They romanticize yes, the past, yeah. and it's just. But a, you don't want to actually nature. get like like scratched and bitten by spirits. But you want to hear them say a word or two. 
Maybe touch you on the face. Yeah, spin a dowsing rod around your hand, yeah, light up a rim yeah, pod. It feels safe. Don't go home with me. Yes, yes. So we had a great time investigating the Sorrel Weed House, and now I need my own set of dowsing rods. That's what you told me. So if you're ever in Savannah, we highly recommend touring the house, especially with Bridget and Dylan from The Witching Hour. They're joining up with the Sorrel Weed House and offering a unique paranormal investigation that includes an amateur investigator, an intuitive, and a parapsychologist's perspective. So if you're the skeptical type, they can help you make sense out of what's going on. So check out The Witching Hour on their website and social media for upcoming dates. The first one is actually happening on the night this episode drops, August 6th. So we tried to let everyone know a little earlier this week in case you could attend. But if you didn't get the chance, don't worry, because they're going to be adding more dates. They are. And it is family friendly for ages 10 and up. Yeah, that's not usually the case. Not usually the case right. in these kind of events. So that that's a neat thing that you can bring the kids to and do. And we also just want to make sure you understand we're not knocking any tour groups in Savannah for going out and telling some stories because that's the nature of history. Sometimes it gets embellished. Sometimes things are added. And you got to understand that a lot of the things that you're getting here are for entertainment purposes. And they're stories, sort of like fables that have happened yes. in the past. And there's, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with going out and entertaining people. Yeah, I but, don't think the story's true, but I do think that it is actually has some sort of paranormal activity going on there. Yeah. Like I've seen it and I've heard it and I felt it. So I know there's something. Something's there. But we don't know the true story yet. So there's a, there's a true story behind every haunted house in Savannah and almost every single one of them is not at all like what you're told on a ghost tour. Mm-hmm. But remember... Have a good time on a ghost tour. Mm-hmm, yeah. Just because it's not true don't mean it can't be true for fun. So that is our exciting experience at the Sorrel Weed House. And that will bring us to the portion of the show where we... What are you talking about? That's my line. I'm supposed to ask you. Insert graphic here. No, I know. I'm, it's not fair. <laughs> I was supposed to do it. What, what we're, we're watching. watching. Ha ha. Go ahead. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about the second episode of the latest season of Black Mirror, and that's going to be season six, episode number two, called Locke Henry. And from IMDb, the description is? You want me to read this? Okay. I just wanted to give credit that it's not, we didn't write this. Ah, yes. This is a description, a synopsis, if you will, of this episode. Taken from IMDb, fine purveyor of synopsises (laughs) for all kinds of films and there for your synopsis need. A young couple, Davis and his girlfriend, Pia, visit his mother in Loch Henry, Scotland, to produce a documentary. While there, they discover the town's dark past, an event that caused tourism to entirely dry up and which involved Davis's policeman father. Davis and Pia decide to make a documentary on this subject instead. So, of course, this can't go well. They find out oh, way more. There's so many not well things yeah, that happen in this episode. They find out way more than they ever wanted to. And in the end, the documentary is a success. But was it worth it? At what cost? It was crazy. I mean, I'm saying 100%. It was totally worth it. I mean, if I was that guy, I would totally go through what he went through. For oh, the you would have. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> of course not. I will ask you this. Did you see the ending coming? Not right away, but I, I got. I think we both got it at exactly yeah. the same time. As it got closer, happening. it has a big twist. And you just don't think it in the beginning. And then you start to think, well, I started wait. saying a few things yeah. before it came down. But when it finally came down, yeah. I was still a little surprised. But I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, it just makes sense. So on our arbitrarily chosen scale of 1 to 12 dog treats, what is your rating? My rating for this episode is going to be, I'm going to give it, hmm. I think I'm going to give it a nine. I enjoyed it because I'm into documentaries. I'm into the video and audio editing, obviously, with what I do. So it was sort of an interesting thing to me. Now, I will say this. They all spoke English the entire episode, but I had to turn on the subtitles to understand a single word anyone was saying in yeah, Scotland. Yeah, they had a thick accent. I can never understand I Scottish. Never. <laughs> I cannot understand. <laughs> I can't understand any of it if I don't have the subtitles. And I wish I could talk like that because these people in the bars, the talking in Scotland or yeah, whatever, that was cool. they have the coolest things they say. I didn't. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, that might him be, be him saying, I have $20 in my back pocket. Yeah. But you don't know unless yeah. you're from there. Yeah. 
But once you turn on the subtitles, and you may not have to do that. I'm just hard of hearing. It helped me too. Then you can enjoy the mo- the show. And I think it's sufficiently twisted at the end to not see it coming to the point, which is where I enjoy. So I, I would say, watch this episode. It's a nine out of 12 for me. And I'm going to tell it to you the way they'd say it in Scotland. Slanke, slanche, slante. How do they say that? I have no idea what you're saying. It's written on an alcohol bottle. Oh, okay. It's what alcohol? Oh, wait. No, that's Irish. Oh, no. I was like, what are you talking about? That's Irish. <laughs> Why give up? What's your rating? Is this not? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 12. <laughs> you're confusing me. I'm sweating so bad right now. It's so hot in here. <laughs> I'm dis- disoriented. <laughs> so- so I really enjoyed this one. I think this might have been my favorite episode of the season. It had a serial killer type things going on in it. Does which I it? Like. Does it? Yes, there's a serial killer involved or multi Is there though? <laughs> there is. And it had a really good twist ending, which I'm always a fan of a twist ending. Okay, that did happen. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, with the subtitles on, it's helpful. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I'll give it a 10. But this show, like the other Black Mirror episodes, are not for children. Especially this one. Especially this one. It was a little out there. Yep. So So that's going to bring us to the portion of the show that we like to call Layla Layla and Coffee Coffee Talk. Talk. So we decided to get back on our diet this week because our daughter's wedding is coming up soon and we want to look good. It might be why I'm disoriented. It might be. We hadn't been cooking at home for quite some time, but we're getting back into it. And the girls are quite happy about this. One of our go-to snacks is boiled eggs. And they seem to be huge fans of boiled eggs. What Who I knew? What I do, Mommy, to get myself one of them boiled eggs? Every time they see us pull them out of the fridge, they get super excited and harass us till they get their own. So hopefully we'll lose a few more pounds and the dogs will too. Well, Layla, more so than Kyle. I mean, Layla says that she, she'll do anything, anything. Anything to get a boiled anything egg. Anything to get a boiled egg. <laughs> she will. It's so funny. That we should do a video of when they smell the eggs, like when you open the bowl. The bowl yeah. And they smell it and they immediately like freak the, their out. Their pupils. Yeah. Like get huge. Yeah. It's one of their favorite go-to snacks, which is good for you. Which is pretty much everything, honestly. (laughs) Well, they don't like green beans unless they're cooked. Found Mm. that out last night. I was making green beans and I dropped one on the floor. Neither one of them would touch it. I ain't touching that. That Coffee came up and sniffed it, but she wouldn't eat it. And then after I cooked them, then they ate them. Yeah. So they got cooked green beans, a little meatloaf, little egg. Crazy beasts. Yeah. So if you'd like to find us online, you can go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms looking for the user at Scary Savannah. And it's probably all sweaty now, but we're wearing two of the new shirts that we got for the podcast on our new store. So check it out. It's the 10 cent beer night shirt on me right here. So you can see it. And Crystal's wearing her the down, down the, the rabbit, rabbit hole. hole shirt that she designed. And that's basically how she does her research. She just goes down rabbit holes. I ask her to do a 10-minute script, and she writes something that's an hour and a half long. Well, when we, you know, we originally recorded this episode two years ago, so I figured we already had a script written. So when I went back to look at it, it was not what I would write today. So It was bullet points. It I was basically bullet it. points, and, you know, we elaborated on them. And so, no, I had to go read someone, some student's research paper to know to know the that truth. It's all a lie. <laughs> yeah. So you too can go check out our new designs on the store. If you go to our website and click on the tab that says store at the top, it'll take you right to it. Got all kinds of coffee mugs, shirts, and all that good and wonderful and sundry. We even stuff. have one with this episode. Yeah, we do. It's, it's, it's a, a version of that graphic you can see on the back screen there, and it's a cool new shirt. And we mentioned we're gonna do a new shirt for every regular episode we release. At least we're gonna try to have a special design. So our store's gonna get new stuff every other week at least. Unless I get creative and come up with new things on top of that. (laughs) You're so ambitious. I am. (laughs) As you mentioned earlier in the episode, we do have a lot of extra good content on Patreon. And we'd love for you to go check that out for as little as $3 a month. You can help support the podcast and at the same time get access to hours and hours and hours of extra content. Lots of hours. I hadn't calculated how many in total. 
but it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And go to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah or go to our website, click on the tab at the top that says Patreon, and that'll give you links to go right there and do it from there in case you're scared. Or you can do the app on your phone. Or you can do it. Or if you have the Patreon app on your phone, you can just go to that and search for Scary Savannah. Mm -hmm. We'll be in there as well. If you would like to support the show by donating some coffees, go to our website. In the bottom left-hand corner, you'll find a yellow coffee cup, which will allow you to donate up to as many coffees as you want. I think it needs to be some iced coffee. Brett's yeah, really hot gosh, over there. I am sweating so bad. <laughs> I It's so hot in here. It is so hot in here. We can't turn the fan on because it's so loud that I just have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. But you could send me some iced coffees if you would. <laughs> Please, send them iced coffee. By clicking on that link, send them to Crystal. And that would go a long way to help support the podcast. If you'd like to contact us about anything, there's a contact page on our site. You can go there and send us a message or give us a call at the phone number there, which goes directly to voicemail. Even easier, on our website, there's a little purple icon on the bottom right-hand side that you can click on a mobile phone or a desktop or a laptop or whatever and record us a message a voice message that will go directly to us. You don't even have to sign up or have an account or send an email. It can't get any easier than that. And we would love to hear from you about, you know, story suggestions, what you think about the show. And if you leave us a message and you want us to, we'll play it on air so other people can hear how awesome you are. <laughs> Hopefully you're not as sweaty as me, though, because it's just a sweaty situation right now in this heat. <laughs> it's Georgia heat. It's Georgia heat. So, Crystal, I'm about to die it's that hot in here. I'm going to need to hear 15 words from you, and I need it fast, or I'm going to pass out before I can have a witty retort. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on. But do you know who don't? Who? That's going to be me in about 27 seconds if we don't get out of this podcast <laughs> studio, because I'm going to sweat so much, we're just going to float away. There's going to be a puddle on the floor. A puddle of Brett. That could be the that band name. That could be name. a band name. That's the band name. <laughs>